Psalm 85. Lord, you've been favorable to your land. You've brought back the captivity of Jacob. You've forgiven the iniquity of your people. You've covered all their sin. Selah. You've taken away all your wrath. You've turned from the fierceness of your anger. Restore us, O God of our salvation, and cause your anger toward us to cease. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your mercy, Lord, and grant us your salvation. I will hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people and to his saints. But let them not turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Mercy and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed. Truth shall spring out of the earth, and righteousness shall look down from heaven. Yes, the Lord will give what is good, and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him and shall make his footsteps our pathway. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this evening, as we turn our attention to Psalm 85, we confess that you are good. In this psalm, we see your grace, your mercy, your faithfulness, your righteousness, your goodness, your faithfulness. Heavenly Father, we pray that as we work our way through this psalm, that we will be encouraged and we will be reminded of who you are, God, who you are, the promises that you have made to us, that we will then be steadfast, that we will be faithful. Now, our hearts, even this evening, will be encouraged. Give us faith, Heavenly Father, for we are so flimsy in our faith. We so quickly abandon our faith. And yet you are ever faithful. I pray that you'd be honored in all that is said and done this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 85 is a song of praise and a plea for mercy from a post-exilic people. Maybe even recognize that as we were working our way through Psalm 85, this post-exilic uh, language in here. You have brought back the captivity of Jacob, you see there, even in verse 1. And so as you're working your way through this psalm, there's a very clear turning point at verse 3, where the, the psalmist opens very strong with praise and, and who God is. But then it's as if at verse 4, his complete perspective changes. And he's asking these questions. And really, when you first look at the psalm, it's hard to reconcile verses 4 and following with the first three verses of praise. And yet, as we work our way through this, we'll see... Uh, We'll, we'll answer those questions. And so first you see in the first three verses the past, then in verses 4 to 7 the present, and verses 8 to 13 the future. First thing you see is the past. Lord, you have been favorable to your land. In fact, notice as you will through these first four verses, every line, or the first three verses, every line begins with, has you have. Lord, you have been favorable you have brought back, you have forgiven, you have covered, you have taken away, you have turned from the fierceness of your anger. 
says, what God has done in the past, you have been favorable to your land. We know the land there is not the ground specifically, but it's a reference not just to the land, but to the people who inhabit that land. You've been favorable to your land, which you have given us. You've been favorable to your people. In what ways has God been favorable to his land, to his people? That's what you see going forward. Number one, you've brought back the captivity of Jacob. You have restored your people to your land. You've restored us. Speaks of his faithfulness to do what he has promised. We just recently finished going through the book of Daniel. And all through the book of Daniel, a prophet who is in exile, he's looking forward to what God will do. He will restore us. He will do this. He will do that. Assuring his people of God's faithfulness, of God's power over nations. And now on the other side of that, in Psalm 85, we see that God has restored his people. He is faithful. He has done what he promised through his prophets. Not only have you brought back the captivity of Jacob, but you have forgiven the iniquity of your people. You've restored us and and you've forgiven us. This people who was so unfaithful, who time and time again turned their back on God and ran to these foreign idols that they made with their own hands. Time and time again, they ignored God's laws. They intermarried the pagan people. But you have forgiven the iniquity of your people. We've seen your faithfulness as you've restored us to the land. You have forgiven our sin. Not only have you forgiven it, but you have covered all their sin. You have covered it. You have made atonement for it. You didn't just turn a blind eye and just say, okay, I forgive it, I'm done with it. You addressed it. You covered it. You took action for it. You've taken away all your wrath. As God atoned for their sin, he appeased his anger. And you have turned from the fierceness of your anger, his mercy. God is a faithful God. He's a God who loves to forgive. He's a God who atoned for the sins of his people, who appeased his own wrath and shows us mercy and grace. So here, in these first three verses, the psalmist is looking back to the exile that they were in, And the God who brought them out of that exile and restored them to the land. This is who God is. This is what God has done. This is what we've experienced, what we've seen. Then at verse 4, there's a a turn. And now he brings us to the present. And he starts with this, restore us, O God, of our salvation. Now at first, that might catch, catch you off guard. You think, well, hold on. You've just said that God has brought you back to the land. You've been forgiven. Your sins have been covered. He's taken away his wrath. He's turned from his fierceness of his anger. What do you mean, restore? Well, 
Restore us, O God, of our salvation. And cause your anger toward us to cease. He's already said that. I think what you see here is that the psalmist, he knows the answer to these questions. In fact, you'll see in verses 5, in the beginning of verse 6, just like in the first three verses, every line started with, you have. Here you see, you will, will you? It's a question. Will you be angry with us? Will you prolong your anger? Will you not revive us again? The psalmist knows the answer. In fact, we've already seen that in the first three verses. He knows who God is and what he's done in the past. And we'll see at the end that he still trusts in God to do that. He knows the answer to these questions. And yet we find, I think if we're honest with ourselves, that like the psalmist here, what we often know in our head and what our heart feels seem to be at odds. And as the psalmist right here, he's writing what his eyes see and what his heart feels. We need to be restored. Restore us, O God, of our salvation. In your goodness, you have forgiven us and you've delivered us. Now in your goodness, restore us. We don't know the exact circumstances of this psalm. We're not told. It seems to be uh, sometime after they've come back from the exile. In fact, even as you read through this, a lot in my mind goes straight to Haggai. It seems to be in that kind of general time period where God has restored them to the land and they came back with all these visions of grandeur. God is going to restore us to the land. He's going to bring his kingdom and they're excited about what God's going to do and they get back and Jerusalem's been destroyed. They have to rebuild it. And it's not easy to rebuild. And the enemies around them, they're not just falling down and believing. They're opposing them. This is a lot harder than we expected, God. We thought that you'd restore us. We thought you'd bring the kingdom. We were excited about what you were doing. This is nowhere close to our expectations. Even though God has forgiven them, even though they've been restored to the land, they're still in the present, dealing with some of the consequences of their past sin. They're having to rebuild Jerusalem, to rebuild the land, to fight back from the enemies, from this land to which they were exiled. Cause your anger toward us to cease. That seems odd, based on the first three verses where he said that you have taken away your wrath. But in the present, it doesn't feel like God has taken away his wrath. He's restored us. He's fulfilled these promises. But it doesn't feel like it. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again? Is it too late? This is who we've found you to be. This is what you have done, and we praise you for that. But, but now I'm questioning that. Is this true? Is it, is it too late? Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your mercy, Lord, and grant us your salvation. There's a recognition here of a need for continual mercy and continue, for continual mercy for continual sinners. We've experienced your mercy, we've seen it, but we need more of it, God. When you come to verse 8, 
And you're still somewhat in the present, but he's looking to the future. In the midst of, of his complaint, after the stark turn in the psalm from praising God to questioning current circumstances, in verse 8 he goes, I will hear what God the Lord will speak. We just finished going through Habakkuk not that long ago. Habakkuk says that same thing. I, I will sit and I will wait for God. I will hear what the Lord will speak. I will wait for the Lord to answer. For he will speak peace. He will speak peace. What a comforting reality. After these verses where he is just, where the psalmist has just questioned, is this true? I, I know who you are. I know what you've done. But it doesn't feel that way. That's not what I'm seeing right now. And yet he returns to who he knows God to be. He will speak peace. God will respond in accordance to his character. He will speak peace because that is who he is. What a comforting reality. I will know peace and it will be God's doing. He will speak peace. This is actually, a lot of, a lot of times, uh, churches will use it as a Christmas psalm. Looking back um, to Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. He will speak peace. Even as he did on the boat. On the Sea of Galilee. As the winds and the waves obey him. So will the circumstances of life. I will wait for him, for he will speak peace, for he knows what he is doing. It reminds me of, as a child, when I would get in trouble. <clears throat> and sometimes in the moment, you know, your, your dad or your mom, they are really frustrated with you, and you can see it. But ultimately, even though you may not admit it in the moment, you know that even in that punishment, that they have your good in the end. That they are punishing you because they love you. Because you have done wrong, and this is not a path that you want to go down, and you need to be corrected. Ultimately, in the end, even through that punishment, their goal is peace. It's to help you. Our God is a God who speaks peace to his people and to his saints. But, the end of verse 8, let them not turn back to folly. It's clear here that the question is not God's faithfulness. The psalmist here is not questioning God, are you faithful? But it's the faithfulness of his people. Because God is a God who will speak peace to his people and to his saints as long as they don't turn back to their folly. Because he's a just God and he will judge them. Let us be faithful, because surely his salvation is near to those who fear him. That's a fact. That is not up for debate. That is a fact that those who fear the Lord will know the salvation of the Lord. That glory may dwell in our land. That's something that had been removed 
We see that in Ezekiel 10 and 11, that God had removed his, his presence, his glory, prior to the Babylonian exile. As a result of the sin of his people, he had removed his presence from them. And yet, going back to Haggai, in Haggai 2, 1 to 10, even as these post-exilic people is rebuilding their land, as they're rebuilding the temple, they, they get to it and, and they start to mourn. Because those who are the elders in the congregation, those who are, who, who are old enough to remember the old temple, this new temple is nothing compared. This is just stones that we're stacking on one another. Remember that beautiful temple. And yet God reminds them that the glory of the temple is not in the beauty of the temple. It's in the God who dwells in the temple. Glory may dwell in our land. God will dwell in our midst. Verse 10 and 11 here is just, it, it's beautiful language. Mercy and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace has kissed. God's attributes are, are pictured almost as individuals that are meeting together. They are working together. All these attributes of God are working together for the good of his people. It's as, it's as if they, they've huddled together. God will do what is true and what is right, and Israel will testify of this to the world. Truth shall spring out of the earth. Spurgeon here commented, he said, Promises which lie unfulfilled, like buried seeds, shall spring up and yield harvests of joy. Truth shall spring up out of the earth. Promises which lie unfulfilled, like buried seeds, shall spring up and yield harvests of joy. What a promise that is. That all of God's promises, even though we may not see them now, they are seeds that will spring up. They will be fulfilled. And righteousness shall look down from heaven. And here in verse 12, here you have the, the answer to all of the questions that the psalmist had in verse 5 and 6. Will you be angry with us? Will you prolong your anger? Will you not revive us again? Really the question is this. God, will you abandon your people? Will you be faithful? And the answer you see here in verse 12 is yes. The Lord will be faithful. Yes, the Lord will give what is good. And our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him and shall make his footsteps our pathway. The psalmist rejoices and the hope that he has in a faithful God, even if he may not see it or understand it in the present. And ultimately, the, the promises of this psalm will be fulfilled in the millennium, fully, completely, and we, we long for that day with the psalmist. As we come to the end of Psalm 85, And you look back at this people, this post-exilic people, and the land around them, the struggles that they have. The psalm does not speak to our situation. But it does speak of the character of our God. In this psalm, we do see that our God is gracious, that he is merciful, that he is righteous, that he is true, that he is faithful. And in that, we rejoice. 
So you come to the end of the psalm and the answer to the longing of your redeemed heart is yes, that God will do all that he has promised. Yes, he will complete in you what he has begun. And we cling to that hope. Even when we find ourselves in verses 4 to 7, like the psalmist, where my, my head knows what is true, but my eyes and my heart don't feel it and don't see it. And yet it is true. And I will cling to the God of my salvation, to the God who will speak peace, who will do all that he has promised, because yes, the Lord will give. That what is good. May we be encouraged by that this evening. Many of us are walking through many different roads and paths. And yet in each one of our situations, God is still God and God is still good and he knows exactly what he is doing.